I was just going to have a disclaimer right off the bat when I've, you know, especially, uh, you know, um, that I, uh, the way we work over the years is I get to talking pretty fast, especially with a, enough coffee. And so Jenny will be finishing a lot of my sentences uh, for the next uh, couple of hours or an hour and a half. And um, so one of the things we want to do today is just say um, the goals are real simple. I think it's just, you know, how do we be better parents? I mean, it's not real complicated. And then there's many ways to be great parents, but I think just the focus of the day is uh, to talk about what boundaries are and, and how you set boundaries and how that makes you be, you know, better parents. And uh, so that, that's the that's the focus of, of, of what we are today. And so you might ask, uh, you know, why are we... Uh, why are we here, and who are these guys? And and uh, it's not because we did it right. We have a we have a, a young girl, uh, our daughter, 25, and she's in her third year of medical student. And if, if if we just had Molly, I would we would probably just set up pearls on the corner and just say, don't slip on all the the, the pearls of wisdom. And here we are. And then we had Hunter, and so we just kind of folded up our stuff and brought it back inside. And um, and so. Uh, the reason we're here, we, we thought we'd do is just tell our story initially and just tell you how we got to this point where we're talking to groups all the time. And um, it was a little bit different talking to you guys because our history has been one of having a prodigal son. And uh, so it, it's we talk about enabling in teens when it gets really tough and whatever, but the more we've looked into it, um, the... You know, this is we. The more we started talking about this talk, this is perfect, because you know, doing it early, we're going to have to talk about that. But instilling boundaries early is a whole lot easier than repairing boundaries late. So Jenny and I said, well, maybe you know, we thought we were maybe out of fish out of water here, talking a little bit too early about teen issues and things like that. So we'll use examples that might be in future years. Maybe some of you have older kids as well. But it's not, you know, I think the principles that we're going to talk about. They start right now, and it'll be so much easier if you do it. So the reason we're talking to you is because of all the mistakes that we have made. And that's how God works. Uh, we have, he, we'll tell, talk a little bit about that, about how his, his model of teaching and your model for your kids ought to be that, you know, they try things, they learn it. If they did, like when we did the study on Proverbs, when uh, Todd talked, you know, if you did everything in Proverbs, it'd be great, right? But you're never going to do that. It's just those are the rules. You, you break them, you try them, and, and uh, uh, just like uh, in the garden, you know, we thought we'd try the apple. It's, it, it, but, and so it, it just doesn't work out, and they learn from that. Uh, pretty high price. So uh, this is Hunter. This is our uh, uh, young boy. And so we put that up there not to pull any heartstrings, although I'm sure it will. He's the cutest kid ever born. Um, but uh, we adopted him. he looks him. more like me, probably. Yeah, he favors, favors Jenny a little bit. We, uh, we adopted him when he was a couple of days old over in Garland. And we flew home when I was up doing residency in Salt Lake. And uh, we had, you know, part of the story is it's, it's important. You know, we want to tell the story because that's the reason we're here. I mean, if, if we didn't, I, I tell sometimes, say, you know, if if we had two Ivy League kids or two kids just like Molly, you know, you would think it'd be great. And in retrospect, if I'd known both sides, I'd absolutely choose this, this way. I wouldn't have chosen it initially, but my life has not been boring because of this boy. 
and uh, uh, just from the issues of growing up in the South and having a biracial kid, you know, and 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 the issues that that brings up, and and having a having a Burns that with a greater than six inch vertical jump was just incredible, you know, and uh, so um, anyway, I just want to inter- interject something yeah. here, and this is what I will do with him, but um, always one of the things that I want to say was we do have this uh, precious child that is a biracial child that um, we got when he was two days old and because I had lost two mid-trimester babies and I got to tell you that we didn't know knowingly adopt a biracial child we um, we didn't know that when we got him which because the Lord knew that I probably wouldn't have done that had I known but the Lord wanted us to have this child, and I believe it's so that we could be right here with you, talking to you, and, and trying to help you in any way we can to raise a godly child. Um, so I just wanted to interject that, yeah. that it's, it's part of God's plan. Yeah. Yeah, it was set up because she had some, we had some issues and we never thought about adoption. And I won't go into the great details of that, but it was pretty funny when we'd send home pictures and, and uh, our grandparents would go, are you sure? We had one, one are you sure he, he's, he's white? And, are you sure you got the right baby? Are you sure you got the right baby? He's and, dark. Uh, he's and, really and dark. And I can remember Jenny and I going into the cribs, you know, being being very, you know, not just kind of a little upset and frustrating. And then we'd stand over the crib going... He looks white, right? I mean, he's 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 not that dark. He's not that dark. He's, a little, he's got a little dark hair, but I mean, you know, come on. And so, so anyway, we finally came to the reality that maybe we had an adopted biracial child. And he may and have so, been the cutest baby oh, ever. Yeah. And so anyway, um, he was. We throw that up there because he's a kid just like your kids, right? I mean, he's no different and whatever. So when we talk about a kid that's gone sideways later on, you know, just realize they start just like this, you know, and and you just can't believe it, and and. And uh, when you know Jenny and I went through, uh, well, let me let me back up. So we so we went down and we, we saw some early things on in in uh, um, in school. Uh, we had some integrity issues and some character issues, and and uh, we were wondering if uh, you know we had an issue. But we went to I'll just tell you we went to counselors and and some of the best Christian counselors uh, in in, a, in in the city, and and some of us helped them a lot. But early on. Um, I can just tell you, if you have an addict, um, they will fool counselors who are not an addict. Um, they will never fool another addict, but they will fool counselors who are not an addict because we're living proof of it. And so they began to tell us that we were okay, we're overreacting. So great, you know, that's what I wanted to hear. And so as we went through um, the process, he began to struggle in school. Uh, um, we went down the whole ADD thing, and almost every addict that you come across or every prodigal tends to have you go down a learning difference thing so I'm not saying it's not real it's just that it's probably overdone but it's clearly there and there's clearly kids that have that but we went down that whole whole process and it was just so much easier for me to give him uh, try to find a pill a pill that he could take and focus him and get his schoolwork done and whatever and sometimes that's absolutely necessary and as it turns out to this day I can't tell you that it was necessary or not but um, anyway he started to struggle in school he um, he was an unbelievable Unbelievable athlete, kind of a world-class athlete, uh, with no training. Jumped the fifth best triple jump in the nation as a senior with no training at all. Uh, turned down a lot of D1 scholarships. We got him into a college uh, in Missouri that was designed for kids with ADD, and 
uh, spent a lot of money doing it, and uh, he just blew up in college and uh, got into cocaine addiction. And uh, we turned out when he was getting voted first team all region in, in Dallas, which was a huge deal, uh, in all in high school, he. Uh, he was smoking pot ten times a day, and uh, this is the kindest, nicest kid you will ever meet. If he's in this room, he's got a smile from ear to ear. He he's a computer tech here in town. There's not a person that meets him socially that doesn't think he's a he's a yes sir, no sir. He can quote scripture as well as your kids, um, and he just was an addict, and he just got sidetracked. And so, um, uh, it was about. Um, uh, You go, this is crazy. I always do this. Um, I, I cry for first downs, so you have to understand that I get pretty emotional. So, uh, anyway, he was a. Uh, he was a. Uh, he got sidetracked, and, and it was just a, um, a thing where it was a tough two or three years, just really a living hell. He became angry, and, and that was not like him, because we were standing between him and his drugs. And, uh, and we're not going to dwell on drugs and addiction today. We're going to talk about parenting. But I think you need to know kind of where we're coming from. And so um, it's... Um, um, as, we, as, he, as we went through that, we went to... Uh, our community began to come around us, and I began to not trust myself because of the things I was the enabler. I tended to look the other way. Um, we'll talk about some of the things we did wrong as we flush out boundaries and consequences and things like that. But, but uh, in the specifics as we go through the talk today, but I was the enabler. Jenny was—I uh, mean, we were both kind of enablers, but I was by far the worst, and she was the one that was saying we had a problem. And I just didn't want to believe it because I just wanted to go watch him pour in 25 points a night, and I, you know, make sure he had his homework done and that kind of thing. It was really a lot of fun. So anyway, as we, we went through that and he, and he blew up in college, it began to get worse. He came home one time for Easter and uh, um, he, uh, we found out from a friend that he had done some cocaine that day when he told us he had not done it. Um, and we began to have, uh, our community said we needed to have an intervention. I brought in Dean McFarland and I was lucky enough that at that time, it was years ago, and Todd can't do this all the time, but Todd got involved, and, and, and if, you, if you want to have somebody do an intervention with your kid, you, you kind of need Wagner. And, um, uh, and, uh, but we had an intervention, and we flew everybody in. And I'm telling you, the whole time we did it, I just thought, this is such an overreaction. You don't know. You know, you just don't know this kid. You know? And so, anyway, uh, we flew in. Um, my nephew, who was his best friend, or one of his best friends, and his counselor at Canacuck, he had gone up to Canacuck and, and worked with kids across America because we had a counselor that said he didn't have an addiction. He just had, he just had, uh, he, needed he, he, he did modeling. So we thought, what better modeling? You know, they've got all these great black leaders, Christian kids at Kids Across America, you know, 6,000 kids a summer, and he loved it, and they loved him. But, but he began to be, in, uh, he continued his addictive ways there, and we didn't know it. So at the end of that, we, we, we realized that he still had a problem. And uh, I just remember, I'll, I'll spare you the gory details, but we went through the intervention. He admitted to a few things. And when we got through, you know, I was still blind. I remember we went, you know, it was a rough afternoon, and Hunter flew back, and we went up to a place to eat, and we got in the car, and 
And I, and I said, well, hey, I think that went really well. You know, he admitted to some things and whatever. And there was a dead silence. And, and Jenny, my daughter, <laughs> my nephew said, you know, what room were you in? You know, I mean, he, he didn't really admit to anything. And so he ended up breaking some of those rules and, and going back to his cocaine addiction. And when, they found, when I found that, when Dean McFarland found that out, he and Todd called me and said, you and Jenny need to meet me at Starbucks on Monday. And so we went to a crescendo point in, our, in our, the whole journey here when Todd said, are you willing to stand over your son's grave? And that was probably the roughest night of our, of our life. Because it was really, he quoted Ezekiel 33 about the watchman, where he says, you know, if, if, if you come in and uh, you have to stand over, I mean, if, 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 if in other words, I'm going to paraphrase it, but if hell's coming and you're the watchman and you um, tell the people and uh, they repent, then you will be saved and they will be saved. But if you don't, if you, if you stand there and let hell come, then not only will, I mean, they're responsible for their sins, but not only are they responsible, you're responsible because you didn't warn them. And so he said the only thing that you can be responsible for is yourself. So you've got to parent this kid in a loving way, which meant ripping him out of kids across America, which he loved. And I won't, in the sake of the time, this has gone longer than I wanted it to, but in that time, he had built to a crescendo year. He was going to do this video editing of the whole Highway 101 trip. He had worked his whole year for this. And so uh, we gave him... uh, so we decided that night we went home and cried and talked about it. And, and um, because when you throw your son at that point out on the street, I'm going to tell you, there's not there's a few things that could go wrong. Like he could rob a bank. He could rob a 7-Eleven if he needed money. He could do anything. You, all those things run through your eye. He could die. Your, he could die. He could absolutely die. He could die in a drug deal. And little did we know at the time that absolutely could have happened. And uh, uh, so we gave him, we gave the counselor... Okay, $87 for a bus ride, and he went in there and threw the counselor's keys on the speakerphone when I was on it and said, if you come home and get on the bus from Springfield, Illinois, and come home, then we've got a plan for you, which was rehab and uh, up in Montana. And uh, we thought he would have to do it because he didn't have any money. Well, little did I know he had twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in the bank from doing some bad things. And uh, but he got he took the eighty seven dollars and he bought a train ticket and I mean I mean, a, I mean a bus ticket and we came home and and he went to uh, Montana and started his recovery and it was an amazingly terrible time and it was uh, it's a whole other story uh, about the five days we went up there for 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 the weekend and uh, I learned a ton and it started it started us on this prodigal ministry and the reason we're here today is because we came back after doing that and I, I can tell you that that you know hunter today is he's you know it's a day at a time you know i i get i get somebody the other day that sent me an email we work in the prodigal ministry which you probably haven't heard of because it's just been beta testing over the last two two years but it's it's going live in october uh where we'll meet with prodigal families formally but we've been meeting with them for two years in a crisis intervention and part of the ministry is what we're doing today is speaking to groups about about parenting and and prodigals and things like that but it's a day at a time and i had a email the other day says we want to get involved in your ministry because we're in the tail end of our prodigal 
And I just thought, wow, you know, you can't serve in leadership because you don't get it yet. I mean, you're never at the, t- the tail end is when they put you in the grave because it's one day at a time and it's for the rest of your life. So what we're trying to do today is scare the heck out of you and, um, and to say, if you don't want to end up like us, you better listen. So, uh, and even if you do, that's the scary part. You know, you can do everything. I was not, a, I was not, I did not raise doctor's kid. I was there and coached every game, 99% of every game, I was either there or I coached it. And um, uh, we, 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 kids grew up in the church, but the reason we felt like there should be a need for this ministry is because we've got a perfect recipe for disaster, and that is we've got parents in this town who have enough money to spoil their kids, and they love them intensely. And with that two combinations, all you need is an addictive personality, and you got a problem because it just, all of a sudden, it just surprises the heck out of you. So uh, that's why we're here. And I just want to say one thing that um, I just want you to know that Hunter knows that we're talking. We Absolutely. do this talk. We have his total permission to do it. He has made huge progress. He's come a long, long way. Um, he does know the Lord. He's always had a childlike faith. Has he always walked in his ways? No. Is he now? Mm, some, maybe. But um, just want you to know that we're not doing anything that he doesn't know we're doing. Right. And he's totally self-supportive. He's a Mac technician in town. He's been supportive, you know, really almost 100% for the last, I think, three years now, two to two and a half to three years. And uh, we talk to him every day, and it's one day at a time. But I can tell you, I'm, uh, you know, we're going to try to talk a little bit about the difference in forgiveness and trust and consequences and love, and they don't always go together. So um, let me ask you this. What do you think your purpose is as parents? Just just fire off some things that, that have you ever thought about what really is your purpose as parent? What would, what would the end game look like? What, what, would it, what would be your goal if you were successful as a parent? What's our purpose? Just some thoughts. Just throw it out there. Anybody? What's that? To glorify, to glorify God. God. Yeah, really good one. What's that? To train up your children, to train and to glorify God. Anything else? Protection. Okay. And from themselves. Absolutely. Again, up there with training. Any, anything else? Any, any other thoughts? Did you think about it? Bingo. Yeah. Independent. Responsible. Um, you know, no, I never really... You know, I don't know about you guys. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But part of the reason we talked about the parenting traits a little bit with the icebreaker was, I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's the most important job we have, and all we have is just kind of a roll-the-dice model that, that in most of your... Believer, your believers here, and your, you know, your great women, and you, and you're here for a reason. So you're a skewed, you're a skewed group, so that you probably have, you know, for the most part, have some really great character traits from your parents. But, but there's so many that don't. And so, how do we, how do we overcome some of those bad traits and 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 reflect the good ones? And so, some of the things, just asking a question about what's my purpose. I never really thought we, we just were. I can tell you one of the problems we had. I was just reactive. I just thought my dad did it right, and I'm just going to do it like he did it and my mom did it and there were some great things and there were not some great things and so life was going so fast that we just kind of hit one crisis and you know and I'll handle it and when mom gets home did I do that right and man if we could just say have a plan so think about what your purpose is and for the purpose of this talk we just thought with there's probably other better definitions but for the purpose of this talk if everyone could agree that that we think maybe the purpose of parents would be it's really what you just got through saying but help your child learn responsibility and self-control so that you can use the freedom 
appropriately, you know, uh, and live well in the real world to glorify God above all else. So, you know, teaching your kids responsibility and self-control, and it, it talks about the freedom we have in Christ, and it's the same kind of freedom here. It's not a freedom to run rampant. It's a freedom that you're free when you have internal boundaries that you know right from wrong. You have character and you have integrity. So um, I think you should really train your child up and every day kind of remember what the goal is about uh, uh, what we do. So one thing I would say is the church is God's instrument. Since Israel rejected him, obviously you all know that the church is God's instrument, but the family unit's really critical to the church. And so nurturing and developing our children uh, to really mature and, and multiply his image is important. And Ephesians 4.13 is the one that, that, is, that uh, speaks to this a little bit in terms of until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. And um, let me just say one thing in this talk that, 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 hit, that hit me is every time I, you know, we've done this a few times, it's always a little variation depending on the group, but um, I would say that one of the things I would show you is that um, I don't want to be too PowerPoint heavy. That's my problem with being a physician. I speak all over the world to doctors, and they don't want a lot of flowery stories. They just want the facts, and so I, I'm trying to learn from Watermark not to have too much PowerPoint stuff. But I would say that most of the stuff that we have spoken with are out of the book Boundaries, and many of you are shaking your head. You've read it, you know, and Boundaries with Kids and Boundaries with Teens. This is one you're reading a few years. Um, but but uh, so we want to just you can read these books, but but hopefully what we're doing here today is not telling you anything too dramatically new. My dad, if my dad walked in here and say, "You got to have a whole lecture about common sense stuff." Are you kidding me? And but the point is, is common sense stuff which seems so matter of fact in the fifties with this culture is not so easy to, to implement. You know, I mean, you know, in a group of us that's sitting at a table today, I mean, let's go get them. But when you go out there and your kid's acting up and, and, and being told things by the culture, we need times like this to say, how do I apply these books? How do I, give me some real stories about boundaries and how you do it. Give me some, so as we're going along, please say, well, look, you know, I've, I've got this situation and you've got great community here. Let's all work out a couple of problems together. And at the end, we'll have some questions and answers if you want to. So there's nothing that's really earth shattering here, but I will tell you the simple things are hard to deliver. And we're here to encourage you as to, if you don't do those simple things, you can have some issues. So um, uh, if the one thing, a cornerstone slide here for you, though, is is that parents with the greatest gift to their, teach, their kids is to teach them responsibility. So what would that look like? Wouldn't it be great if your kids knew what they were responsible for and what they're not responsible for, how to say no and how to accept no? And before you start looking at your kids, I would ask you, to look at yourself. When I give this talk, you know, I'm looking at myself, and I'm and and Aaron knows me incredibly well. My wife knows me better than that. And one of my issues is that I do a lot of stuff and and a lot of good stuff, but I saying no and and knowing how to prioritize my life and what my boundaries are. You know, I'm getting better at it, but man, it's a struggle for me. And so, unless you model that for your kids. Um, there's a story in the front of this Green Boundaries book that is just, it'll probably have you laughing because I've got to tell you that it's going to.
going to be most of us in that book that, you know, good Christian woman and she can't say no because she's a Christian and she's got to serve other people. And, yeah, you know, and you just end up running down a road. When can you say no and when can you say yes? And what's okay to, to, uh, to ha- you know, what, what, are, what boundaries are all right? So how do, we, how do we teach responsibility? And it's through the thing of boundaries. So uh, boundaries are kind of like... Um, uh, physical boundaries are easy to understand, right? You know, it's like if you have a yard and you got a fence around it, and uh, um, that's my stuff. Well, if you had, if you, if someone told you that you had to guard some property, but he didn't give you the tools to to really guard it, and he didn't really even tell you what was all of his his stuff. It would be very frustrating. So it's very freeing to know exactly what you've got to guard, what is yours and what is not, and and how to guard those boundaries. How, what are the tools I can guard my property with? Those are physical boundaries, and the spiritual boundaries um, are, uh, are the same thing, except that it, it, it makes you you. It's, you know, what is me? What is you? Where does your territory impinge on me? Where do your values impinge on me? Where can I say no to you to say I'm not going to tolerate that? And and really, boundaries are not walls, if you think about it. If you have walls that are boundaries, then you're in isolation. And we're going to talk about, you know... The beauty of this is this fits in perfectly with Watermark because it's, it's about community and open, authentic living and, and reality. So it's a fence with a gate that swings both ways. Because if you have walls, then no one can get in and help you. But if you have a fence that your boundaries are well outlined, but people can enter when there's sin in your yard, and you can let that out. Think about boundaries being that way. And it's, it's really, what is me? What is you? What am I responsible for? And what am I not responsible for? So when you're teaching your kids, try to model that because if they don't see boundaries in your life, it's going to be kind of hard to instill those. And I think we all struggle with them. Um, so uh, when you say no to someone's bad behavior, you're, you're basically setting a boundary. And Jenny, you have something to say about the, the stakes, a little analogy. Oh, yeah. Um, boundaries function kind of like a tree trunk. You know, the tree trunk... Holds the the fruit and the leaves and the roots and everything and and um, but that tree trunk wasn't always big like that. You know, you've seen a little sapling and it has stakes around it. Well, we are that stake. You know, for our children, we're their stake, holding them up. You know, so that at some point that trunk's going to be able to hold all those things. But when when we give them the boundaries and the consequences. We're allowing that trunk to grow, but we've got to be the stakes there for them first. And, and so, you know, if kids grow up being confused about what they're responsible for and what they're not responsible for, then they don't develop self-control. And then if they don't have that, they try to control others, and they're just out of control. And I, I kind of had that experience. We, you know, we kind of, that's one of our mistakes we made was... Um, not setting those boundaries and, and not falling through on some consequences, and therefore there was a lack of self-control there. So how do we set those boundaries? And, and really one of the keys is words. It's not real hard. God's a great example. I mean, the thing I love about the Bible and God and Jesus is that he never asks us to do things he doesn't do himself and doesn't give us perfect examples for it. So if you think about God, what a great boundary setter, right? I mean, he says, this is who I am. You know, I am love. I am, you know, I am faithful. Uh, what I am not, I am not darkness. So he tells us who he is. He tells us who he isn't. He tells us what he likes and what he doesn't like. 
I like humbleness. I like repentance. I like childlikeness. You know, uh, I don't like sin. You know, I don't like deception. So if ever there was a, 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 an entity that could set a boundary, we know who God is. We know where what he accepts and does and whatever. And we need to be that example. So, you know, uh, I think Matthew 5 uh, talks about being clear about your yes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That was one of the big mistakes we made with Hunter and, uh, and Molly or whatever. And, and my mom was clearly, you know, my dad would say no and my mom would say, let me work on him. And, um, um, and uh, I knew it worked that way. So I, I, I knew how to play the game. And, um, and, uh, that was one of the things I would say yes and or I would say no and then I would I, I, I kind of tended to want to be more of a friend than a parent and uh, so that was one of my problems so it's difficult to know where you stand if you can't communicate so your kids have to communicate one of the problems Hunter has is I don't really think that I've ever had in 25 years a meaningful deep conversation with my son ever with Molly Anything goes. But Hunter has a problem communicating, and I think that's part of his problem. He just can't, he can talk about the Rangers and superficial things, but to have a deep feeling, talk about his feelings. Uh, I know he's a guy, but I've given him 25 years. We ought to have had a couple of talks by now. And so it's hard to sit there and talk to him about superficial things that are fun to talk about, sports and ESPN, when Rome's burning behind the, behind the scene. So being able to communicate is very important, and we're going to talk about how to get that out of your kid a little bit. So, um, it does require a support group, right? Like, let's say you're struggling with boundaries. Okay, let's say that, that um, Aaron Heather's bugging you all the time about helping her out. She's needy as she can be. She just, you know, it's one thing. You can't even raise your family because she's calling you about her problems and her mother and her kids and whatever. At some point, you know, how can you deal with that? Because you love Heather. But you've got to have a little boundary there. So sometimes it's hard as an individual to see that reality, so you go to your community, right? Well, your kid doesn't have community. Yes, he does. His community is you guys. You're, you're, and, I, and we just say right now, single moms have the hardest job in the world. And that's why they have to have a little community around them beyond their... Beyond, uh, uh, their ex or whatever, you know, they've got to have a community to help support them. So community is important. You are the community for your child. That's their little stake. That's a little stake among the sapling. And I hope you guys work that out. I mean, so um, so anyway, it, it, being a good parent means being active. You know, being proactive. Don't don't let it come to you. I wish Jenny and I would have said, okay, what are we going to do when these kind of things happen? She she gave me tons of books. You know, when I was younger and and I just knew it all. And I just said, look, you know, I had a great dad, mom. You know, I can I can do this. Now I'm reading all the books after I've done after I've failed uh, and, and hadn't been the best parent in the world, and so I was loving. But you can't set boundaries. Let me tell you, when you set boundaries, I think one of the things you have to get over it's a series of paradigm shifts. Don't you want to just have a family that has no conflict and everything's nice? And when things are conflicting, it's tough. That's not normal. You've got to have conflict. When you set boundaries, you're going to have separation. You're trying to teach your kids to separate. That's not, that's not easy. You're going to have conflict. So you've got to have a basis of love and bonding for them to trust that separation and conflict. So you've got to love them. You've got to be present. You've got to be there. Be truthful. Be consistent. I was not consistent. We're going to talk about that later. And you've got to be together. You know, when, uh, I think Jenny might talk a little bit later about when Dean uh, and uh, got us together with our prodigal issue, um, 
the first thing we had to do was write where we thought Hunter was uh, in our own words. And it was like we were writing about two different kids when we turned it in. It was just insane. So be, be together and then finally be the parent. I think that I really wanted to be a friend more than a parent. I, I was mentoring a young guy here in church. Um, and I don't know if you, I think I've got permission to use this, but I don't know if you know the Campbells here at church, but Donovan Campbell have five boys. I'm telling you, if you see the family, it's like perfect. It's crazy, you know, how good they are. And well, Kate, they're all grown boys. They're all they, grown boys, they, but they... Not, they don't have anybody who strayed. They don't have anybody strayed. No, no, I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying that. But, but they're pretty good kids. And I was talking with Caleb, who's in medical school, and I said, what, what, what's the deal with, you, with your folks? I mean, he goes, and he just, he never flinched. And he said, Dr. Burns, he said, you know, when I was growing up, there was no give in Polly Campbell. And I knew that Polly and, and my dad were on the same page. And that page was, and they told us over and over again, I want you to, I, I want you to love us, and I, want you to, and I want us to be friends, and I want you to like us. But that's not my goal. My goal is to raise raise men of integrity and character who love the Lord. And if we're not friends and you don't like us, I'm going to hate that, but that's not my job. So, you know, hell's coming because this is my priority. And I knew that was their priority. And I knew when it came down to being a friend and working them, it's never an option. And I thought, ouch, you know, that's... Boy, I wish I'd have talked to you a little while ago. I mean, that was a, I mean what a great statement. That's from a, a, wouldn't you love to have that about your son? And now they're best of friends, of course, because if you train a kid with character and integrity, they're going to love you. It's, it, it's, it's real easy. What a great gift you give to them. So you want to model the qualities um, uh, you want to teach. You've got you've to uh, you walk the talk. I think Jenny's going to talk okay, a little bit about I, that. I, I want to give you a little scenario here, and this or two scenarios. And the first one is, what this is a this is a story about me. We'll say it's Jenny and Hunter. Okay, I I tell my family uh, one day we're going to go to Six Flags today. All four of us we're going to go to Six Flags. Yay! We're going to go at one. We're going to leave at twelve thirty. And before we go, now I want you to do these chores. And I tell Hunter, I say, Hunter, you've got to finish your work in the yard before we go because I've got to turn these rakes back to the friends, these, all these tools back to these people we borrowed them from. So, so we can be ready to go by this time. And so everybody do your chores. Well, um, uh, about 30 minutes later, I see Hunter hadn't done his chores. And I go in, I go, Hunter, you've got to get started on your chores. You've got to get this going. We've got to go. Well, I wait another hour, and I go back in, and he's, you know, watching TV. Hunter, what are you doing? We've got to leave. We've got to go. What are you doing? And uh, so I go back in, and he's, he's, he hadn't done it. So finally I look at my watcher and say, now you've done it. Now you've done it. Now we're all going to be late because you haven't done your chore. So while I'm rushing around, we all... Molly, Jay, Jenny, Hunter, we all chip in and we do the yard work. We get it done so we can turn these rakes back in. We all, and we're late going to Six Flags. We get in the car and we're all mad. It's not a fun trip. Okay, y'all, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. Now let me give you another scenario. Um, we'll say this is Trisha Kegler, okay, because she's, she's got girls. Okay, Trisha says to her girls one morning, she said, Girls, we're going to go shopping today. We're going to leave at noon. So everybody, I want you to get these chores done before we go. If you don't get the chores done, you don't get to go. Um, okay, so it's time to go. 
Patricia doesn't nag. She doesn't say, hey, you got to get those chores done. Did you do your chores? She comes in. It's time to go. She says, well, it's time to go. And um, I see that middle daughter here, you didn't do your chores. You made the choice not to go. Um, the girl says, that's not fair. You can't do that to me. And Tricia says, but you had the choice. You had the choice to do your chore. You chose not to go. So we're going to go, and we'll see you later. And by the way, um, there's a consequence if you don't have these chores done by dinner, but surely we won't have to worry about that. You have, we'll, we'll see you later. Bye. Okay. You see the difference? I mean, I would just run myself ragged trying to make it work. I mean, heaven forbid Hunter should not be able to go to Six Flags with us. You know, what a mistake that was. You know, it, why not let him suffer that consequence now? You know, you've got to be able to let your kids suffer. That was one of the hardest things I remember, you know, going to these little meetings with other moms saying, you know, oh, I don't want him to fail that class. I don't want him to, you don't want anything bad to happen to my kids. Oh, my gosh, if I had it all to do over. You know, Hebrews 12:11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have trained, who've been trained by it. Y'all, that's, that's in the Word. Um, we've got to let them suffer the sorrow now instead of later because it's, it's inevitable. They're going to suffer. And wouldn't it be better if that consequence is missing a trip to Six Flags rather than losing a career or a marriage or something real serious? That's the kind of thing I'm telling you. That's the kind of thing I would do. And as I look back on it, I, I could have been so in control, like Tricia, and said, you made that choice. You know, I'm sorry you made that choice, but that's the choice you made. It's, and then, you know, the difference is when we're on our way to Six Flags, Hunter's, he, the focus is not on the fact that he made a poor choice. The focus is on the fact that I'm a nagging mom, and it's all on me because I'm just the mean old mom. So it's yeah. taken it off of him, and it's on me. But she has put it on the child. You, they need to be responsible for their actions. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that with, you know, one of the more, it may not be Six Flags, but the everyday thing is like, uh, you know, a kid coming in and, and uh, saying, hey, Mom, you know, uh, you know, you've got plans to go out to dinner. Uh, and kid comes in and says, hey, look, you know, in 15 minutes, you know, we're all going to the movies and we don't have a car. And so will you pick everybody up and let's go? And what you end up doing typically is dropping everything. I did. Being 45 minutes late to your movie or missing the movie and just having dinner instead. And what you, you have a great opportunity to say, boy, sorry that you know, this all happened in 15 minutes, but I've got plans and this is my boundary. You're, you're modeling. This is my, let them suffer. I want to tell you, if, if you could hear one thing, if I could have it all over again, I would pray for another birthday party to hold them back from, which seems like the, the most, I mean, how could you spare my child going to a birthday party? You know, because it's going to, it's going to ruin our relationship with the mother. She's going to be mad because they're best friends. Quit it. I mean, pray for a birthday party. Pray for a, pray for a, pray for an F. Pray for an F, that, that the homework's not ready, the project comes due. Okay, and, I, want, and I want to tell you, I want to give you another little scenario about that, because that's ex- what he's saying is exactly true. Um, we, we had a child that was very irresponsible about getting homework done. Um, so one scenario would be where uh, it's 
late at night, and Hunter says, Mom, uh, we don't have any glue. I said, where's the glue? We don't have any glue. Oh, i got to have glue to do this project. Oh, really? Uh, gosh, when did you know about this project? Two weeks ago, but Mom, I've got to do it, or I'm going to fail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail, and I've got to do it. So what would I do? What I probably did was I'd say, you know, I'm mad. I'm not happy about it, but I'd say, oh, gosh, the, near, the nearest store that's open now this late is 20 minutes away. Get in the car. And you know why I did that? I did that because <laughs> this sounds so silly now, and I want you to hear it because it is silly now, but it seems so important at the time. Because our son was this great little basketball player, and heaven forbid he should not be able to play in a game because it's no pass, no play. And we worked our tails off to make sure he passed these classes so that he wouldn't, that we wouldn't be responsible for the team losing because our son, who's the star, wouldn't be on the team. Well, you know what? Our son's not a star basketball player anymore. Very few go on to be professional basketball players. It's not important now. But I, I had such a lesson there. What I should have said was knowing that there was a pattern. Now, if you've got a child, a responsible child, our daughter who was responsible, got her work done on time, was very responsible about schoolwork, if she, that had happened to her, that's a one-time thing. But I had a pattern going. My son had a pattern of irresponsibility and waiting till the last minute. Really didn't want to do it all together. But he knew if he didn't pass, he couldn't play in the basketball game. What I should have done was said... Gosh, sorry, son, it's past my bedtime, and you'll just have to, you know, do something that doesn't require glue. Good night. That's what I should have done with my child. That's what you do. That teaches him responsibility. And that's Sorry. what I wish I'd done. So. And, let, and let me say one thing about that. Let me go back to some basic principles. Do you see what happened there? That what happens there is, why that happened is, it was all about us. It was all about me. Because, because I, I justified it. Because I guarantee you, if Hunter didn't show up, we weren't winning the game. But if he showed up, I mean, we might win the game. But if he showed up, we were winning the game. I mean, he, he was that good. And, and that was my justification. It was for others. But let me just tell you what I really loved. I loved sitting in the stands when he poured in 25. And they go, boy, that hunter or something. I go, yeah, man. Got my jeans, you know. I mean, just, and uh, and uh, and we so, got him through that class. So and the play. fact was, it was all about me, right? I had lost perspective of what I was really to do. I had an opportunity to teach him responsibility, so that when he, he would have freedom and have internal boundaries, and it would have been a small price for it. I pray for an F. You know, so don't miss those opportunities. They're not as big a deal. And I'm going to tell you, the reason you need community and the people sitting around you is when it comes time to not do that project, you're going to have to call somebody and say, tell me I'm doing Give the right thing. Give me strength because Because I need tough. to go get that glue. And you don't. Okay. Don't All right. get the glue. It's a long race. Okay, we've got to speed it up, baby. We're never going to get out of here. All right, so um, discipline's a tool to develop boundaries. And... We've talked about this. The whole process is instilling boundaries. We've never talked to a group this early, but you see how we're excited about it because if you instill them, it's so much easier than repairing them. And, um, and the earlier, the better. So um, one thing I wanted to... This is really a very important slide. Again, another one that I would really like for you guys. I know these, these handouts are not quite in order, but Jenny changed them. We've we just been praying about it, and we changed a few. So bear with us. It's, you've got more than what we're delivering, so don't feel like you're being left out. Okay? You've got more slides, whatever, for the type A people out there. So, and, I, and I'm right there with you. So uh, 
but trial and error is God's model, right? I mean, it's 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 how it works. So, you know, I think that when we when we talk about um, life is a series. One of my favorite concepts is that life is a series of paradigm shifts. I mean. We, we say at a certain time, you know, I'm never going to raise my kids that way, or I will never do this. Well, hang on, because when you get there, you might have to eat those words. And so when you, what I'm trying to say is shift, I'm just, some of you have this down and you could give this lecture, and for that I apologize. But I would tell you that probably most of you would kind of like to go get the glue, you know, and, and that, and that so I see some shaking heads, yes, and slumping in their chair. But, but, but the fact is, is that if you get the information and you apply it poorly and make mistakes and you learn from it, that is God's model. C.S. Lewis says pain is God's instrument for shaping us, right? And so it's the same with our kids. So if you actually, if you think about this for a minute, if you actually anticipate that hell's coming, that, that your kids are going to make mistakes, and that's part of the learning process, and it will disrupt the family for a day or two, but it's a great opportunity. Do you see how you shouldn't be afraid of that? It's, it's just going to happen. So, and if it doesn't happen, then you're creating this wonderful, superficial, unreal environment that, that is kind of manageable, but you're not teaching your kids to be responsible. There's got to be a little conflict. You know, the first time we had conflict in our community, I told Jenny, I said, if this is what Watermark community is like, I'm out. This is, this is too hard. This is crazy. And over the next couple of days, we worked through it, and we went, wow, I'm closer with those people now than I ever have, and that's no longer an issue, but you've got to burst through those problems. So uh, I think we've talked a little bit about this, but... Um, you know, an external boundaries designed to develop internal boundaries. Um, uh, good discipline always moves the child toward more internal structure. But the, the slide I want to talk to you a little bit about is this one. This is another one of those paradigm slips, uh, uh, shifts. If you think of what, what's that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I left out a really good story about instilling versus repairing boundaries. One of the cool. What, this is a really good story, and I forgot it. Um, this is a story that I that seems so simple, and I and and. Um, I can't tell this to guys because they'd, they'd think that I was weak, but uh, but it has to do with Erin and and her daughter. Erin is our niece. Erin is our niece. So and, we love um, her children. And uh, so her daughter Gracie is like the sweetest girl, and and uh, um, she really is a, a very well mannered uh, young lady, and we just love her to death. But Erin was trying to instill the, the point about eating her asparagus. You got to have a bite of asparagus, and so. Um, Aaron drew the line in the sand, and asparagus was going to be eating, eaten. And so Gracie, well, you said, had to try the asparagus. You had to try the asparagus, just to try it, just to have a bite. Well, Gracie said, "I took a bite," and Aaron suspected that that was not true. So she asked her again, and she said, and then she admitted. She said, "No, I didn't, mommy." And she broke down, and she was very repentant. And uh, but nevertheless. Uh, Aaron said, you know, there's got to be a consequence. So she put her in timeout. You know, put her in timeout over a, an asparagus issue. And um, the um, Jeremy saw her over, her husband saw her over on the stairs and said, you know, isn't that just like God and us? You know, she wants to be with us. You know, we want to be with God, but our sin separates us. And those kind of lessons... I got to tell you, it seems like a no-brainer, and and you know, like I say to my guy friends watching ESPN, they'd say, you know, Burns, you're getting too touchy-feely with all this stuff. But I will tell you, those kind of things. And Aaron said that somehow, some way, 
you told me this morning that somewhere we had said you can't lose sight of the little things early because they make it big things later. I mean, Gracie knows that lying over even asparagus is a big deal and character and integrity. And I can tell you, we didn't, although she got that from us, she only learned that from us from our mistakes because we didn't do that as well as we should have. And one of the main things is because she was repentant, you know, you're tempted, Aaron was tempted to say, oh, it's okay, she's repentant. But, you know, even the way we are with God, we still have a consequence. He forgives us, but don't we always still have consequences? There are consequences to our sins. So you still instill that consequence. Consequences are huge. That's a great point. I want to say you you can't confuse love and, and consequences. You can forgive them, but there's still consequences, and that's a real, real important point. Okay, so when you look at this, yes. Okay, the, the, the question was, if you, if you had a scenario like that, would that ever encourage, would that ever encourage um, not telling the truth because she got punishment? One of the things we're going to talk about, it's hard to say no sometimes, or it's hard to be truthful sometimes because of the fear of punishment. So I think that uh, the other part of that story would be, I think, the way you would handle that, it, I guess you could certainly go there, and every kid's different, and I, that's a very good point, but I think as a parent, the way I would handle that is to play that out, but then also in love, talk about the good things and the, and the fact that that no saved her from a lot worse problem. You know, you can either tell me now, or we can, this can get really tough, and, but you could tell her how proud you were of her of telling the truth, and that you could avoid, so she avoided much worse issues by doing that. She gained your trust by telling you the truth. Okay, and that's something you'd never want to lose with your kid. You, I trust you now, Gracie. Um, and going forward, you can trust me. And if you would have told me the truth initially, then we would have avoided timeout altogether. We would have still had an asparagus issue, but we wouldn't have been probably in timeout. I would say the key there might be consistency. Yeah. Consistently, when they're caught in a lie, there is a consequence. And I think, you know, as we, as we talk about, as they soon figure out that... You know, life goes better when I tell the truth. Things go better when I tell the truth. Things don't go so good when I don't tell the truth. That's part of the learning process of the consequences. We had a child that lied. I mean, Hunter lied from the time he was little. And, and I, I wasn't consistent in the lies. Right. He continued to do it. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, Gracie's not a liar. I mean, she made him, she, she did something wrong, but she learned from it. And right. that's the whole key is, I don't, I don't think that my answer to that would be, Probably not. Most of the time, no. I think, I think that a child who's consistently given consequences and taught boundaries will learn sooner than later that lying's not going to get them what they want. Yeah. So. so when you look at punishment and discipline, again, it's one of those paradigm shifts. I always thought that discipline was a tough time in the house. Punishment's tough. It looks back. It's a payment for wrong. It's almost an attitude. I'm angry. I'm going to punish you. You know, and it doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for growth, right? I mean, uh, ultimately, you know, uh, 623, the wages of sin is death. I mean, you know, death is kind of uh, God finished punishing us on the cross. If you think about it differently, discipline is an opportunity. So if you think about that, it's a different way to approach it, right? I mean, it looks forward. We learn from it. It's an opportunity. It uses consequences to teach. The only danger in discipline is consequences, right? It's not... It's not isolation and judgment. So again, I'm just trying to give you encouragement to discipline your child, and loving them is disciplining them. So, because um, ultimately, when you teach them responsibility and to be be uh, responsible, 
one day when you're gone, they're going to have to face the ultimate judgment at the seat of Christ. So that's your goal. Keep that in mind. And it, and it makes it easier you know, to not go get the glue. One other thing I want to say is this, we're parenting for the future, too. One thing I didn't think about when I was raising my kids was that they're going to be adults someday. So I had this daughter that was so, she's so wonderful, but she was a mess. I mean, she would not, I mean, if I asked her to pick up, it was like, I mean, I didn't enforce it. You know why? Because she was really clever, and she didn't do it the way I liked it done, and she knew it. So I would, because I wanted it done my way, I just kind of overlooked it and went, oh, well, okay, I'll do it, you know. Well, oh. That was so unstructured. That was so wrong. Because you know what? I'm doing her future husband no favors. And if you have a son, you're doing their future wife no favors by picking up after them all the time. You know, even the little ones, as you you guys know this, you know, can pick up their things and, and make sure it's done before the next thing happens, you know. Complete that task. Um, I, I think we need to look at that. I mean, I, I to this day, I mean, I talked to my daughter last night, and I told her I was going to say that. And she goes, well, Mom, you know, it's not that bad. I'm, it's, you're just fanatic about it. Well, but I should have instilled that and said, well, sorry, you can't go to that party until it's done. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And if I had it to do over, I would have really said, you know, you have a choice. Again, it's all about choices. Give them the choice. You have a choice. You can either pick up your room and not go to the party. Or, or I mean, you can either pick up your room and go to the party or just not pick up the room and stay home and do whatever. But that's your choice. But I didn't do that, and I wish I had. So okay. learn from that. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Does everybody have this handout about being responsible for and, and to, for, for others and responsible to others? Do you see that anywhere? Okay. Is that the okay, so the, the pink sheet. So what I want you to do is real quick, I want you to fold that where you have just in the middle where you have responsible for others and I want you to look at that side of it. Just that side alone. This was uh this was something that was handed out to us by a very wise counselor that we had. We've we've got a whole list of them, I know. Um so one of the things I did when I walked in, the very first counseling session, I walked in in my tie. After, after when Hunter was off at treatment. When Hunter, 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 treatment right Hunter's right. in treatment. He's up in Montana. And we, we walk in to kind of figure out what all this addiction thing's about. And um, I went into surgery because I like to see a problem. I want to fix it. And I want to move on. That's, that's my personality. And... Um, and uh, so when I sat down, I remember sitting down in the chair and saying, uh, he was talking a little bit of that, and he says, I said, well, let me just ask you something. Uh, and I know I'm not going to hold you to this, you know, but, um, you know, just about how long does one of these things kind of tend to, to When's gonna be does it right take up? to work When's this gonna out? When's it going to be okay? When's it going to be okay, and how long is this to kind of play out? Is it a year or two, something like that? And my life began to change with the answer, because it's never over, and, and it's never over. An addict... Is a lifetime deal. And uh, then he handed us this, and it really began to change our lives. Uh, and even though you don't have an addict, you know, or you don't have a prodigal, our kids are all prodigals. We're all prodigals unless we're walking firmly in the Lord. We're prodigals. So if you're responsible for others, think about your kids, then there's a huge control issue if you're responsible for your kids. I try to fix. I try to protect them. I try to rescue them. I try to control them. I carry their feelings. I don't listen. I kind of join in. And what that makes you do 
is it makes you tired. It makes you anxious. You're fearful. You're, you feel responsible. You're angry, guilty, embarrassed, lonely, rageful. Am I hitting any kind of, you know, uh-oh, right. And I'm cons- so you, you're really only concerned with the solution and answers and being right and details and performance. And what you really are is a manipulator and you're a controller and what he calls a disabler, what I call, most people call an enabler. And that's what, that's what we did. And our self-worth goes down because we can't fix our kid. Remember, it was really a huge thing for me, and I think it'll be for you, is when you realize, I know with small kids it's a little bit different because you are responsible for your kids. So you understand what I'm saying. This is not about letting your kids go out. You know, you've got to discipline in a safe environment. You don't want to put your six-year-old outside at night and let him learn the consequences of that. Um, so, but, I, but I think you're responsible for it. But you know what I'm saying going forward. And if you switch that over and you look at responsible, if you're responsible to them, then you show empathy. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry this project's not going to turn out well for you. Sorry I really you made am. that choice. I'm, I know what it's like to miss a meal, and I hate to miss that meal, but darn. Right, and you end up encouraging them, and you share with them, and you confront them, you ask lots of questions, and you listen to them. But you don't try to fix them. And then you feel more relaxed. It's their responsibility, not yours. You're more aware of reality. And you start relating to the person and not the solution. You, you, keep, you keep the e- eternal goal of parenting in mind. And that you just say, that person has enough to make it. I have to discipline them and let them learn from their consequences. So you become a helper, a guide, a friend, and your self-esteem goes up because you see them improving as a child. So this was a huge paradigm shift for us because we were firmly entrenched on the left side of that. And um, I'm going to skip the enabling thing. You've got, you can read that. Is that the good part? Okay. All right. Can't skip the enabling thing, she said. All right. So anyway, we fix enable. It, it, they make us look bad, right? It's, it, it, this is really, we enable because it's all about us. They make us look bad. We hope to gain something from them in return. You know, their love, their obedience, their manipulation. We're motivated by guilt because now it's our kid and we must have done something wrong. And we don't want the neighbors to find out our son's an addict or our son flunked out of school. Or he, we don't want to, why did he not show up at the game tonight? And, um, you know, you have false expectations. My parents are going to get me out of anything. Um, and it prevents brokenness and it teaches irresponsibility and that's what I did. Okay, I'm going to tell you this story because this is a huge story in, in our in our journey here. When our son was 16, I guess, and you know we're the we're the typical little Park City's parent, and he gets this truck for when he's well, not he didn't get his license right when he was 16, but he had a truck and and so because I'm this you know just bent on that my children will not drink underage drink. I will not have a child who does, you know, I was adamant. I will, my children will not drink before they're of age, and they will not do drugs. I mean, that, that's where I was. Now, the first time I'm sitting with my son getting him drug tested, I looked and said, if you had told me five years ago that I would be sitting here getting my child drug tested, I would have said, no way, not my child. You know, I have instilled the dangers of this in them, da-da-da. Well, so I told my, my son and my daughter, I said, when you start driving, if we ever find out that you are drinking or involved with alcohol, we will sell your truck or your car. We will do it. And I meant it. I had a friend that I was in church with at the time that had done that to her son, and, and she had to follow through on it, and she followed through on it. So I, I made that point, and I made it clear to my kids that that's the deal. Okay, well, one night... We uh, get a call, I think. I think it was from a K-Life leader who knows that we're 
you know, where we stand, that we're Christian parents and we want our children to, you know, do the right thing. And she says, I think I just saw Hunter and exchanging maybe some beer with someone. And he's, he's 16 at the time. So um, I call my husband and I tell him and, you know, I, I used to play private detective and we'd go out and check on him and stuff and try to find it and try to catch him, you know. So Jay, he, he, he had some trouble with his car this night. And Jay, he calls Jay. No, he's flat got a tire. Flat tire. So Jay goes out there and he uh, he's down there with him looking at the tire and Jay kind of smells something on his breath. And, and uh, Jay says, you've been drinking? And uh, it's pretty obvious. And he said... Yeah. Well, and I'm telling this story with his permission because he, this is huge and he knows this, but he said at the time, he said, okay, do not do that again and we will not tell your mom. You know, we're, we're going to keep this between us, but you got to promise me, right, mm-hmm. that this won't happen again because you know the deal. Okay. He looks back on that and you know he's kicking himself. What a great opportunity there. So I didn't know about it for a long time. Who knows? Would I have followed through? I hope I would have followed through had I known at the time because I really had made a huge deal about it. But I don't know. Maybe not because you saw me. I was the helicopter mom. So that was huge. And what we're saying is that was an enabling thing. You know, Proverbs 19, uh, 18 says, Discipline your son while there's hope and do not desire his death. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. For if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. And we did. And we did. And we did. Isn't it amazing God had all this figured out and tell us all about it? It's kind of wild. <laughs> one one other thing i got to tell you, because this is, this is cool too, because this was a younger kid story. But our son went to, this is going to be funny because he struggled in school. But for the first two years, first and second grade, he went to St. Mark's because someone told us, oh, you can't put this biracial child in the Park City schools. You know, he'll stick out like a sore thumb. You need to put him in St. Mark's. So we go, okay, we did. So one of the things I got from that school it was not the right school for my son but one of the things I got from that school was and and it kind of goes along with rescuing him is they said they had a thing called checkpoint Charlie and y'all this is a great idea you put it on your front door so every day before school we looked at checkpoint Charlie and said look at checkpoint Charlie and he had to say did I get my book did I get my papers did I get my pen do I have he had to go through the checkpoint because their point was they said if you do it for him now and get it all together, you're going to be doing it for a long time. So that was the best thing I got from that, was let him do Checkpoint Charlie at the front door and say, did you get it all? Because, you know, my temptation was that I, wa- I was the controller and I wanted to make sure you had it all. And let me make sure you got it all. But he was responsible for making sure he had all his stuff before we left the house. One other thing about that, we're going to make a, we, we make a point here. Um, I can already tell you we're going to have to blitz through the last five minutes of this pretty quick. But uh, one of the things that the other thing that, that that really didn't do well is if your kids, I don't care if they're an addict, addicts are better at it, but any kid is great at it. I mean, your kids can determine, can see a crack between you and your husband so fast, they know exactly where to hit and separate you. And if you're a single mom again, it's even harder, you know. So uh, one of the things, don't you see how... I taught Hunter that there's a there's a spot there's a vulnerability you know dad's weaker than mom and here we go and so it wasn't just the fact that we weren't consistent it also showed that we weren't together and he just was licking his chops saying they're not together so I've got a shot here and he used that for the next five years so um, I'm just going to go very quickly through this Um, the uh, 
the one the one thing we're going to talk about as we close here is just one more thing about give you some stories again don't, I, I hope the examples are better because you can read this stuff but I think the examples are important because I think you can apply this to your own life and so I'm going to talk about five different ways that, that the boundary meets your needs in kids for uh, like the first one is self-protection um being able for them to say no. Let me give you a story about um, Jimmy and Paul. Jimmy was a kid that, that he came in and he, they were having dinner that night with a family and he said, Dad, you would not believe the boys today. They asked me to smoke pot with them. And then they got mad when I wouldn't do it and said I couldn't be their friend if I didn't do it. And I thought, you know, if you guys, if that's what it takes to be your friends, then I guess we're really not friends if it's, if it's conditional like that. And so they're just a bunch of knuckleheads and I told them no. Okay. Contrast that with Paul. And Paul comes in and he's got red eyes and he looks a little slow. And the parents start questioning him about, did you smoke pot? And they keep badgering him and badgering him and badgering him. And finally he breaks down and says, yes, I did. Why don't you like my friends? And runs out of the room. Okay. Two different scenarios. And when you look back on it, let's look at how Jimmy was raised. And I'm not saying this is quite as black and white, but it just gives you some scenarios about what happened. Jimmy, when he was up in his mother's arms, would would she would when he wanted to be laid down, and the mom just loved having him in her arms, and he says, "I want to get down." She let him down. She respected his wishes. When his dad was grappling with him and wrestling, and it got a little rough, and he said, "No, Dad, let me down." Dad immediately stopped and let him play with other toys. Whereas Paul. The mother would shame and say, well, you're, there's going to be a day when, you, you know, you're going to be with me. You hurt my feelings when you, when you go down like that. And all of a sudden, Paul's responsible for his mother's feelings. She, they put a little guilt trip on him. And all of a sudden, his wishes are really not, they're trying to be manipulated. So when I say this, allow your children to say no. Now, now you know what I'm saying here. It doesn't mean... No, I'm not going to school. No, I'm not brushing my teeth. It just means if you can give them the opportunity to respect their no, to respect their wishes, it all of a sudden it lets them know what happens. So all of a sudden when Jimmy, he had a whole lifetime of being able to say no without losing conditional love, without losing love with his parents. Parents still loved him, but he could say no. He was setting respectful boundaries is what yeah. he was doing. But, but Paul... Every time he said no or something, he just had to be externally compliant. But internally, he was acting out. So those are some guidelines that I think where boundaries will allow your kids to be protect themselves and be able to say no. Because uh, you give them precision to disagree. And it doesn't mean that ultimately they're going to get their way. But I can tell you, when my son or my daughter snap back at me. That's one thing my dad didn't do well. I could not really start talking back very much or I would get hammered. And uh, it just wasn't an option to be disrespectful. But I should have listened. And, and even when they were saying something insane, you know, you've got to listen them out and explain to them why that's not right, but at least, at least listen to them. So they need to know that last one's important. It teaches a child they can disagree without losing love. And so... A child needs to be able to say, I disagree, I will not, I choose not to, stop that, it hurts, it's wrong, it's bad, don't touch me there. I mean, those are things that really a child ought to feel comfortable saying. Um, and, and, but, but I just want to clarify, because that slide bothers me a little bit. So it's, cause, it bothers um, her a lot. 
it bothers me because I, I never, you know, would allow my children, you know, I mean, it sounds bad to say they can't say, you know, that it's okay for them to say no. Understand what we're saying that, you know, and, or to say, I don't want to. It doesn't mean on this one. Everyone understands what we're saying, right? I mean, you, you get, I'm not saying you can have a child. It's about self-control. Goes, too, yeah, right. So, and the reason it's saying no is hard because it's just what you said. You, you asked about a minute ago about no, is that going to teach them the wrong thing? And I was thinking about this slide. Because it's, you know, you say no, it's hard because fear of hurting someone's feelings. It's a fear of abandonment. Fear of losing someone else's anger, fear of punishment, or fear of being viewed as unspiritual or bad or selfish because you, you know, because you say no to somebody. Um, so uh, the other one is, uh, where are we? Uh, taking responsibility, you know, for one's own needs. I, I think that's. I think I'll uh, skip that story in the in the sake of time. And uh, but you've got to be responsible for your own needs and to know what to know what you need all i would say is that you need to be able to verbalize what you need in the communication asking questions of your children let them verbalize one of the things i think we do is let them express grief loss or sadness don't you know talk to them about their grandmother's or grandfather's death and say it's not a big deal you, you know it is a big deal and don't try to minimize their feelings or, or cheer them up and talk them out of their feelings let them talk about their anger and express their needs so that eventually they can tell others that's where hunter struggles he cannot tell me about his needs and uh, and so ask him questions help him put words to their feelings and don't try to keep things light just for to keep the family in, in check just one more thing having having a sense of control and choice the one thing i was i would say why don't you tell the story about the allowance uh, on oh, control and oh, choice okay a lot of y'all probably if you have kids that are old enough to do this you know give your Give your kids an allowance. Okay, we give our kids an allowance for the for the week, say, or the month. Let's say the month. And um, we say, you know, part of it you have to tithe with, part of it you have to save, and then the rest is for you to spend. You can spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. Well, so your kid comes to you. This has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to all you. A kid comes to you and he says, he says, oh, I don't have any money left, but I want to buy this such such toy that I want so badly. Can you give me some money? Well, you know what would I say if I'm the enabling mom? I'd say, oh, okay, but you gotta, but just this one time, maybe I might say that. Well, so they, what, what have they learned there? So what is, what am I supposed to do? You know, or they say, mom, can you give me some extra chores to do to make some money? The right thing to do, what I wish I had done, was say, sorry, I'm so sorry. You made the choice to buy that with your money. You don't have any money left, and no, I can't give you more money. And no, there are no more extra chores. That was the deal. So what has he learned there? He's learning, you know, okay, that then next time he saves a little bit more and realizes it's not going to come. I've got to be responsible, responsible for my own things. This is something I have to be responsible for. It's just... Yeah, and one of the things you want to be creative with and you need community is try to give your kids a sense of control and choices rather than you controlling them. Like, say, there's a story of a girl that, that, that Pamela goes to the dentist and... Um, she didn't say, I'm not going to the dentist. And she said, okay, and you can't make me go to the dentist. He said, okay, you're right. I can't make you go to the dentist. But remember our deal. If you don't go to the dentist, you can't go to the party Friday night. And she said, that's not fair. And she said, well, that's the deal. And he says, well, I'm not going to the dentist. You know, you can't make me. And she says, you're absolutely right. I cannot make you. So do we go home and you miss the party? Or I mean, you, you tell me because it's your choice. And in frustration, she says, well, okay, I'll go to the dentist, but I'm not doing because I have to. And you say, right, you don't have to. You made that choice. You're going to the dentist, and now you can go to the party. 
party. Those are a little bit of things that have to be creative a little bit, but it's a better way than saying, okay, you're going to the dentist, or when your dad gets home, hell's coming, you know, and... and um, yeah. And the laugh is of truth. Okay, so um, so anyway, give them choices, not forced ultimatives. And again, children need a sense that their lives and destinies are largely theirs to determine. It helps them. So we're going to just, it, I'm going to just say this and we're going to quit. But boundary needs in children help you help delayed gratification. You know, now is inconceivable to a one-year-old, right? I mean, it's not going to happen. But sometime we learn the value of later. And clearly, Scripture places great value on that for the joy set before him and the cross and you know you change orientation to go first year it's irrelevant second year it may be just dessert comes after you know carrots but and then it also teaches you to love others if you if you have boundaries you begin to learn that the world doesn't revolve around them it's important because it teaches them self-responsibility and that that others are not going to be there to meet our every need and they have needs as well and this is a this is a slide that I wish I'd seen earlier Sooner or later, someone will say a no that we can't ignore. Our kids will say a no that we can't ignore. So if you ignore your parents... Our kids don't say the no. What, Somebody says what, the no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Someone will say a no that we can't ignore. And if, if the progression is, is that you know, your parents can say a no that you could maybe... If you, if you don't ignore your parents... Or if you ignore your parents, you can ignore your siblings. You cannot respect your school teachers, no, your friends, no. But I want to tell you, do you see the progression there? Because eventually, the cops, the courts, the prison, that's, there's a no you cannot negate. So hopefully, if you can stop it at number one, it's a whole lot better. So uh, I'm just going to go for Oh, I'm sorry, I went backwards. Um, so anyway, unit, this is the last two or three slides. Unity of parents, you've got to be on the same page. Kids can work their way into the smallest crack. And I talked about single parents. And community, the importance of community is just un... Um, it's, you can't underestimate that. It gives you guidance and wisdom, and, and you just get centered in reality. You need encouragement. Um, so the four anchors in summary is... In love, you say, I'm on your side, but you're not responsible for them, you're responsible to them. You, 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 you give them truth. I have rules and requirements, these are my boundaries, and you have to respect them. But you've got freedom to choose and respect to reject the rules, and the reality is this is what will happen. So um, I hope that's been of some help. Uh, it's kind of, we had to speed up a little bit, and sorry for the stories, but I think we have some, still have some time for some Q&A. Q&A. I just want to say one quick thing. Y'all, we talked about these books. These books are great, and there is so much scripture in these books. But as we all know, the, the whole workbook is in our B-I-B-L-E, which is absolutely true, absolutely true, we know. So it's all there. You know, one of the funny things is I do a... Uh, I, I, funny how God God showed me this is that in the middle of Hunter's struggle, I was at... Uh, I do a little uh, thing at Good Morning Texas once a month, and I was down there. We're in the green room, and this guy was sitting across me, and I said, what are you talking on? He says, I'm talking on... Uh, I wrote a book and I'd never heard of the guy and uh, and he said I said what is it he said it's uh, called boundaries with teens and I said oh really and, and I said he said yeah, I'm a psychologist and I said yeah, right you know so uh, so I uh, talked to him I said well you know I'm struggling with a kid with addiction right now and boundaries are kind of important and I said but you know I'm not sure I could use it because you know I was going to be this Christian guy you know and I said 
but I, I've got to do it. I'm doing it through my church, and, I, and I, my faith's important to me. And, and um, you know, it's got to be biblically based, you know, because most psychologists, you know, or a lot of psychologists are not biblically, not most, but I, some of them are not. And it was so great when he just, you know, just like a father said, well, you know, I graduated from DTS, and this book is totally based on biblical truth. And if you read the book, it's just everything he does, it's all biblical. So God put us together in that room, and for the next 30 minutes, we were just on fire together. And it's just amazing how God's worked through Hunter's story. And, you know, this, uh, this month we, we finished the third part of our prodigal ministry where when parents are struggling, we've met with parents that are in crisis for two years. Um, we have a leadership team that does that. We talk, we talk about... Uh, we, talk, we talk about... Um, to, to, to groups like yourselves, and then finally we have a we're going to have a weekly meeting that in conjunction with CR, where families can come and 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 express their issues, and we can they can meet weekly because so many families have expressed a desire to do that. So this ministry is where Jenny and I feel like we need to spend the next few years and stage of our life, and and so we're very grateful for Hunter and and all the the uh, the things he's taught us, and so hopefully some of that relates to you guys. So any any questions and answers? Yes. Does somebody want to give her a suggestion on that? The question was, did anybody hear the question? She has a two-and-a-half-year-old that is um, kind of throwing some tantrums very, very when he gets frustrated about not, how to con- positive ways to help him express that. Self-control is kind of what you're talking about. Okay, anybody want to help her with that? Well, well let, let, me, let me ask you this. What, what, what do you do now? And it's like we, we will not we will not laugh at you. We'll not make fun of you. Right. Well, I, I think that I think that a couple of things I might think about is again, don't dis, don't don't uh, not acknowledge the anger. You know, and say, Bennett, is that right? What was his name? Bennett. Bennett. You know, I know you're angry. I see it. But it's not acceptable, and there'll be a consequence for you doing that, whether it's time out or whatever. And you still can't have the toy, or you still have to take a bite of asparagus, or whatever the deal was. So we're not going to get around this. I understand you're angry, and I and I get that. But you know, and it and that has to be repeated and repeated and repeated until they grow up and they're like 15 and they stop that.